Discussion, a lot of speculation, quite frankly. And again, our philosophy has been just take it one day at a time. Take it one day at a time. Like I said, we've had uh, communication. You know, communication been good. I've talked to him multiple times. Coach Cully has talked to him multiple times. So again, we're just going to try to take it one day at a try- time and do what we feel is best. Does that include traveling to Green Bay with the team this weekend? Yeah, I would say more than likely that probably wouldn't happen. I wouldn't expect him to play. Uh, yeah, no comment. Um trying to focus on, on on the team that we have here and the one thing I like about this year it's not a lot of beef going on you know it's still early but it's a lot it's the, the, the coaches are all on one page the players there's a lot of new guys but similar personalities good guys and we, we're meshing and welcome to another episode of the turn up for what podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and it's finally here it's game week and the Texans are off to Green Bay this week playing on Saturday night and despite the circus there is football just around the corner fired up for it I suppose or as much as you can be in this off season and uh, fired up as always to speak to a guy who probably needs no introduction now and I think you might now be Brandon the record holder for appearances on the podcast so uh, you're my number one guest now I think after today but uh, how you doing you all right? I'm doing good. That's an honor, man. I didn't. I wouldn't have even considered that. That I might be. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Maybe appearance number three or four now. Uh, uh, maybe five. I think. Maybe five. Maybe but, so. Maybe yeah. So. Um, I mean, time flies when you're having fun. I suppose, man. That's right. Uh, yeah. But, but, but yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying it, man, and uh, I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be on with you. Glad to be at at, at training camp. I've been out there braving the Houston, Texas heat. I don't know how familiar you are with the, the Texas heat in yeah. in Houston specifically, but. I went, we've been out there sweating, wearing two shirts, two, three shirts a day, uh, trying to trying to give the most uh, in-depth and accurate updates of what's going on at, at, at Texans training camp and and, and balancing the, the rest of the Houston sports landscape as well on, on top of that. So, uh, but yeah, it's been a good time, man. I'm doing good. You know, actually, my, probably my worst ever experience, I don't know if you'll probably remember this day, but do you remember the day the Astros parade uh, downtown? And uh mm-hmm. And just kind of walked out the hotel, walked like four or five blocks along just to get on it. And then I just looked to myself and I didn't realize how much how much I was sweating it. And it was unseasonally warm, I think, that day, because what was that? November, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even even at that time of the year, it's it's hot. And uh, yeah, I suppose you, you, you always, yeah, I mean, it's the only time uh, you, you ever take a towel with you, I think, sometimes. You see a lot of guys doing that. And uh, you saw that with Brevin Jordan doing that today after getting interviewed in the media. But yeah, the heat's real, and I think it can uh, it sort of sneaks up on you a little bit as well. It's not like it's not a dry heat, is it? It's just it's uh it's, it's a re- unrelenting one, I think. Yeah, David Cully even talked about, and I could identify with this because I wear glasses as well. He talked about going, you know, when you get out of your car, when you step from inside to outside, that that your glasses fog up. You know that that's how you know if you're, if you're wearing glasses, that's how the yeah. heat hits you. Is you either sit there and let your glasses fog up, or you just know to take them off and. You know, allow the you you know allow yourself to get adjusted to the heat, and then put your glasses back on. You know, it, it it's that unrelenting. It is that humid and muggy, and yeah, you know, especially with the practices. What's interesting is, and I was talking to some of the more seasoned reporters, the ones that are, that that could go back even further, and and you know, they remember when training camp practices, you know, especially under Kubiak and before they were much earlier in the morning. You know, by by the time we're out there, by the time the players get out there, it's nine o'clock and the sun's up, 
you know, it's, and it's just, it's just come up, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're, we're, we're in the thick of it, but I mean, it, 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 it's really a joy though. You know, like it, 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 it'd be hard to complain about, you know, just standing out there in the heat watching, you know, some of the, you know, some of the best athletes in the world do their thing, get ready for a season. Yeah, that's right. And what's been your overriding thoughts then in terms of how it's set up the coaches and just the general kind of feel, I think, you know, from reports, it's, it feels a bit different this year. Um, obviously different from last year, but if you, you know, if you compare it to normal years, what's the, what's the changes been like on the new coach staff? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest change, like you hear the word vibe, right? That's the, that's kind of a buzzword in camp with, you know, both the, the, the players and the media is that the vibe is different. And I guess what that essentially means is that there's just a different, it just, there's just a, a, a different feeling around, you know, David Cully and this, and this new staff, um, you know, the personality difference, I think is what stands out the most. And I think we probably pointed this out when David Cully was hired to begin with is just that these are just two totally different types of personalities and what you have and Bill O'Brien and what you have in David Cully, just sort of the surly, um, I think John McClain, you know, longtime writer John McClain for the Houston Chronicle uh, called him Mr. Teapot, nicknamed Mr. Teapot. Or maybe that was actually what was the nickname around the the, te- the Texans organization when he was there because, you know, at any moment he could kind of kind of tilt tilt on you a little bit and, and it go, you know, kind of go the other way. Whereas with David Cully, there's just this, you know, kind of just this, this feeling of, every, you know, everyone's kind of getting along and is on the same page and is kind of moving in the same direction as cliche as all of that sounds. Now, uh, you know, the I, I think that, you know, in addition to that, when you listen to Bradley Roby and you kind of read between the lines a little bit with what the players are saying is that it's not just, I don't think it's just the coaching staff. I think that's part of it. But just overall, like maybe even the new influx of players, like I'm getting the sense now more than I did even last year covering the team, covering them now with the players that are still around that there there were there were possibly there were possibly factions within the locker room. There were maybe some strains and and you hear Bradley Roby talking about a lot of different things going on. Um, obviously, the the Jack Easterby issues were highly publicized toward the end of the season by Sports Illustrated. And so you keep all of that in mind. Now, obviously, Jack Easterby is still there, still around, still very involved. They're high-fiving. You see him in all the videos. He's out there, he's out there high-fiving. I've spoken to him a couple of times, you know, uh, just kind of high and by here and there. He's out there every day and, and, and clearly involved. Uh, but to what extent isn't necessarily clear because just the power dynamics and, and everything is is just different from a management standpoint. So 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 that's there. And so it, there's just a different feeling that things are a, a little bit more positive, even if the outlook on the team is no nowhere near what it was, say, a year ago. Like, I don't think there was this, you know, this idea that the Texans were going to be like Super Bowl contenders last year, but at least with Deshaun Watson as the quarterback, um, we're not quite quite on the one-year anniversary of him having signed that extension yet, but you knew Deshaun Watson was going to be a quarterback. Um, all of these other things that happened in the offseason with DeAndre Hopkins and, and you know, 
things were in flux, but you felt better about the team, the outlook on the team. That's not necessarily the case now, but it does feel a, a, a bit more positive, even with the distraction of Deshaun Watson and, and that whole spectacle. Um, you, you seem to have like a like a group of guys, like everybody's new. And so I, I think that part of that helps with just, you know, everybody just out there trying to, you know, make the most of their opportunity. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I noticed the difference that, you know, the, the striking part about it is just all the new faces and trying to learn who's who, learn names. You know, you still carry around your roster sheet, you know, 10 days into practice because you just want to be yeah. sure. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that the, the vibe thing, while it's been a buzzword, I think is, a, is an accurate characterization of it is that it just, it, it feels more positive, even if the team is not as good because they don't have, they don't appear to have a franchise quarterback unless something's changing, right? Unless something is, is, is changing on their front. Yeah, we'll come on to that. I think Aitkins was perhaps more sort of cutting in what he said. I think I try to pick up the audio for the intro, but it was a bit faint. But he talked about, there's a discussion about things. He, he basically referenced that the previous coaching staff dictated the players um, and the amount of different interviews and different position coaches that have come up that have talked about technique and intricacies of the position and actually coaching, you think, you know, I mean, I think if you if you think you, you've probably got the biggest cloud you could ever have hanging over you as a team with your best player, you know, arguably talent-wise, value position ever, um, you know, top five player in the league at his position at the most important position in all the sports. And despite that, the players seem pretty happy and it seems like things are rolling in a direction that's, you know, is positive in terms of trying to get ready for the season. But it just shows you how bad some of those factions, some of those, uh, some of the, some, some of the clashes of, per, you know, people in the building must have been because you, you had, uh, Aitken's talked about people actually speak to you when they walk past you, <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, I mean, how bad was the atmosphere and you wonder, that was and we'll probably never know um but if you think about the guys that are gone um it might have been some of those um and it might not have been but i think it's uh it's it's a strange dynamic i think that you can have essentially your whole franchise or your whole future in flux but yeah everybody's positive because the atmosphere was so kind of kind of ill-fated and a bit toxic perhaps last season so it just shows you how bad it was um but you know, saying, I, I, I'll say on that though, I, I do think that there's something to be said for the the difference in the player perspective versus the fan observer media perspective. Whereas we're looking at the team from a much larger picture view, uh, bird's eye view of the team. Um, we, even though we're following the intricacies of it, we're we're looking at it from a bird's eye view perspective. Whereas with the players. They don't, I don't know if they really care about 2022, if 2021, you know, 2022 depends on how 2021 goes for them, you know, so they're just, they're just, there trying to make it, you know, so for them, they don't, they don't really care. Like the, the players that are returning obviously can speak to the different vibes and the differences between the coaching staffs. But for the most part, you're like even Jordan Akins himself is fighting for a job you know, or and, and at the very least fighting for a spot on the depth chart, you know, even though he's likely to be on the team. So, I mean, all, I mean, all of these guys kind of are, are looking at it from a very, very different perspective from, from the rest of us. On the coaching point that you made, I think is interesting that I don't think that this can be hit home enough, but the Bill O'Brien coaching staff was 
basically a bunch of Bill O'Brien yes men, a bunch of guys that yeah. Bill O'Brien that were loyal to O'Brien and that he trusted. And that if we're just honest about it and frank about it, they weren't necessarily guys that were going to buck or that were going to uh, really challenge him intellectually beyond what he could handle, I think. Um, And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I think is valuable. I talk about this all the time with Tim Kelly. I think it's so, I'm not trying to convince you that, you know, that Tim Kelly is Kyle Shanahan or something like that, but like, Tim, I think there is value in him being a young offensive mind and whatever he's learned from Bill O'Brien, good and bad, you know, take it for what it is. But now he gets to go or be with other my other coaches and hear other voices and, and learn other things, implement other other things into into a system and see it from a different lens. I think that there's value in that for him. I think that is is obvious for the players as well. And like having actual coaches who aren't just there because they're, uh, you know, because they're yes men to the, to the sitting head coach. They th- these are actual coaches. Like you look at some of the guys that Bill O'Brien had, John Perry and yeah, John Perry's the worst one. Yeah, yeah. You just go down. You just go down a list and in terms of resume and Tim Bell. I mean, obviously Mike Devlin was the one that everyone. <laughs> right, and, and and I can't tell you how good of a coach or bad of a coach John Perry was. To be honest with you, I mean the. I think the talent dictated the success of the receivers for the most part, but that was, that's just an example. That's an antidote of yeah. kind of kind of what you got around here. One of my coworkers here at sports radio 16, uh, our, our midday host, Landry Locker calls them lingerers, you know, a, a lot of just lingering faces and, and voices that probably you could have stood to, to have done away with a while ago. So I think the fact that it's, that it's all fresh and, you know whether you believe in it or not. The fact that it's all fresh and it's new um, it, it is is probably adding to the the vibes as they yeah. call them. Yeah, I'll, I'll digress slightly. But I got a John Perry story for you. Um, I don't think I've told this one before, but it was the the week before the Colts game after Texan played Seattle in twenty seventeen. Um, mm-hmm. We were doing a tour of the stadium and walked around, and I saw John Perry in the hallway. And I just said, hi, John, how you doing? And uh, he looked he looked at me like he'd just seen a ghost. Um, and we did a tour and you could, and, you, and we were looking out, you know, you go up to the top level of the press box, you look out onto, across the, across Kirby and you can see the practice field, never and ever coming down. And somebody got a text and they said, have you seen the news? I said, no, I don't know. What's the news? So we got in the car and then, you know, NFL networks usually, you know, the app sort of flicks on, it's probably about sort of 10 minutes behind the, you know, the sort of first wave of Twitter kind of updates. And that was, it was because Deshaun had torn his ACL and that was the ghost that he'd seen, obviously, because him and Roland Ramirez were having a really kind of in-depth conversation. And uh, I'd always wonder why, but, but before we jumped back in the car and we saw the, like the, all the messages, literally we were speaking to uh, Mark Vandermeer for like 15, 20 minutes outside. I think they were giving it like free ice cream or something that day. This must have been in the good days where all the staff wanted to work there. But, um, but it was... Yeah, and I, 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 and I asked him the next time I saw him if he knew at that point. I don't think he did, because um, he just talked to his complete anonymous. I don't think even he heard the news yet. Um, but I, I must have just, you know, you, you get into the sort of bells of the stadium, just saw that, you know, what it's like when a bad, you know, the worst possible probably news in season that could happen to you. Um, and you saw it right, the right or the, the you know, the raw reaction to it. Um, there and obviously that was that's probably one of the worst Sundays ever at NRG against the Colts when Savage came in and missed the 
missed the uh, the fourth down conversion late on, didn't he, to to, to uh, tie the game? But and it just you know absolutely lifeless after what a, what a great start. But um, yeah. Anyway, that's a John Perry story for you. But yeah, he wasn't a very good coach, I don't think. And uh, yeah, that, that yeah. feels like like ten years ago now. Oh, because of all, yeah. all of what's happened. Yeah, that was four years ago. Yeah, tell them. It feels like yeah. moons ago. Yeah. yeah, it does, doesn't it? I think if you think of all the, all the, all the sort of changes, and obviously it was power dynamics. I watched O'Brien's um, interview or his press conference for Alabama just yesterday. He's all changed a bit, and I, you know, in some ways, I was watching. And I think, well, I, I kind of miss him in some ways, you know. But I think that his biggest weakness was that he didn't evaluate people around him, and he wanted. He was very. He was so stubborn that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't have those checks and balances, and that's why we're in this position. But when you when you think of the the current power dynamics, Brandon, what, what do you think about Casario and what's that been look like or what's that looked like observing at training camp? Because, you know, my first thought was, well, you know, he he's more than just a GM. He's out there coaching. You could see Tottenham, he was talking about route compositions with a video I saw with Tim Kelly today. He, he's literally got his fingerprints on everything right across the football operation, which is great, I think, because we've had nothing, nothing anywhere, you know, anybody remotely um, willing to take control of the situation, you know, despite sort of Matt Bazargan and, and James Litford still being here, you know, they went through it as well. So, you know, you know people don't point to them enough, I think, at times. Um, you know, obviously, you, know, you talked about it used to be there, but what, what's it look, what does it look like with uh, Casario in action? Because my first thought is, you know, because we, we all know really, and we'll come on to Cully, but it's, it feels temporary in many ways. And I heard Seth Payne talk about that actually yesterday, and he said one of the players um, repeated to, to Seth that, that the Easter Bee said this is probably going to take more than one coach to fix. Um, not that anybody, no, that's new news to anybody. Um, but 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 certainly it's uh, it probably just hits home the fact or that it's a reality. But my my first impression was if he was going to act like that with another head coach, like a you know a real bona fide Brian Dayball, you know whoever it might be, Matt Eberflus. Uh, would they would they like that level of it, that that interaction on the training field? Because you certainly didn't see Rick Smith out there. You certainly didn't see Brian Gain the visor and telling tell wide receivers how to pivot and, and what have you. Yeah, so uh, it is interesting that he is as involved as he is coaching wise. I mean, for the most part, from when I'm observing Nick Casario, he's standing further back from the action and taking notes. But his interaction much more so is with the other coaches than 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 the players more so. I um, mean, he does interact with the players some, but he interacts with the coaches a lot. And what I can only glean from that, and, and obviously he does have a, a coaching background, and you know is is not uh, it, it's not that that strange to see him out there coaching, knowing his coaching background or or appearing to to coach a little bit. Well, all I can gather from it is that they. You know, it, it seems like they actually, you know, must at the very least respect whatever, you know, you know, they at least respect his background as a coach. And then beyond that, I think what has stood out to me is that it's it does still appear like he's allowing them to, to do their jobs. You know, like he's not out there overbearing and like interfering. It, it does appear. And, and again, I'm not listening to what the conversations are exactly. So I can't tell you what's being said, but it does appear like more of a collaboration. I can tell you, I can just point out to you, you know, they were doing an 11 on 11 drill and Nick Casario is doing that thing that I just mentioned where he's standing behind the action. And so is Greg Jackson, the, the safeties coach. 
And you can just see them going back and forth after every play. And just based off of the interaction, again, I can't hear what they're saying, but based off of what I could tell from the interaction, it looked like Greg Jackson was ex- was explaining every every bit of the play and the, and the breakdown of what was going on to Casario. Like it was Casario asking questions and wanting to learn more okay. about what they were trying to do conceptually. And so I'm saying all of that to say it, it to hit on hit home the point of collaboration. It, it does not appear like he's meddling as much as he is just as you know involved. And, and maybe in some ways curious uh, to want to know why are we doing this? What's the logic behind that? Um, so, and I've seen other interactions like that with some of the other, you know, position coaches and assistant coach coordinators and whatnot. Um, so, so that's, that's my impression of it is that they, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what they actually think of him as a coach, you know, and I agree, I tend to agree with you that maybe a, a more of an alpha type would, um, w- w- th- there could be some conflict with that, but I think that's part of the reason why David Cully was hired, right? And we've been saying this since the beginning, you know, was because, you know, I, you know, I don't want to say it's just because he could be influenced, but because there, I, I think that there could be like more of a buy-in from somebody who's, who's really glad for the opportunity, didn't think he'd ever get to be a head coach. And here's a guy who has expected to be a general manager for a long time. Like, like the Nick Casario's story is different from David Cully's. He's not surprised to be here or or just happy to be here. He's playing. He's wanted to do this for a while. So and so, I, I think that all of that is consistent with with the logic of what they what they were trying to do and what they were trying to accomplish. Get get a coach in here that could more so buy in, kind of kind of sell whatever the message that ultimately is probably Nick Casario's. Yeah, I think he's. <laughs> It's a tough one, isn't it? Because you think it's yeah. There's a, there's a line between being involved and in, and in, in understanding or taking the taking the coach's role away from. But as you said, I don't think I don't think neither of them are playing the traditional role as we know it, which I think probably goes back to that point we talked about previously of some things kind of feel the same in this regime as they did prior. Um, but certainly, but you know, I think there was non-traditional roles. We we found that, that didn't work too well. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's what I, I think it is worth pointing out, man. Like we, the collective we, you know, I'm not saying you or myself individually, but the collective we criticized Bill O'Brien for trying to do too much, right? Like it was a criticism that Bill O'Brien, who was uh, at best and you know, a slightly above to average head, you know, an okay head coach trying to be the head coach and the general manager. And we're like, what is what's this guy think he's doing? Going to try to pull double duty here. And it's like, we're not, we're thinking the head coach can't also be the general manager. So now we have the inverse of that. And we ha- can the general manager be the head coach, you know, and we have no evidence to suggest at this point that Nick Casario is, you know, a, a great general manager. He is, a, a, you know, in his first year at that as well. So it's like, how do we know that this guy could handle all of these yeah. roles? I mean, that that is the other side of the argument. Like, you know, can can he be all of these different things? You know, or should is his role better served to just you know stick to the traditional GM roles that you think of, or, or is it beneficial to have a guy who's the GM that can also give you some input? And coaching and technique and and put on a headset and help you with play calling or whatever whatever it is that they think he's going to end up doing or whatever he decides he's going to end up doing. 
What did you make of Cully's role? I mean, I know he's out there going full MC in the bucket hat before training, trying to give the fans, and I think they're probably, you know, generally speaking, the type of fans. And I heard, you know, I think it was one of the guys in 610 talking about some of the questions that the fact that, you know, that the, the the type of fans that were there had, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, is Deshaun being, you know, uh, in some legal trouble and, you know, kind of sort of stuff that was, you'd think, you know, your average diehard or your average inf- inf- informed fan would know. Um, so he's obviously out there giving a bit of a rousing speech to try and get some cheers, which I, I would suggest, you know, considering some of the feedback that he had then on the type of fan that was there, then it might, and you know, and obviously broadly speaking, um, if you were there, I don't think, not necessarily you're in that bucket, but, what do you what do you think of the the, the sort of kind of role that he's playing? Because it seems reserved in some ways, but then it's almost like he's there to take the Deshaun questions, and he's a bit of he's a you know he's he is a bit of a kind of uh, patsy in many senses. But then with the same token, Casario is out in front of the media, probably more than you'd expect a GM to. You know, I think I think by league rules there's six opportunities to speak to the GM a year. You know, and Casario's out there every week, uh, multiple times almost. So it's a strange dynamic, I think, isn't it? One that of, they're they're obviously trying to create a a narrative and a perception. Um, But yeah, it it seems uncomfortable at times and almost a little bit forced. Um, And I don't know if that's just trying to create a perception in front of the fans, but what what have you made of Cully's role and all that kind of, the the front that they're, they're given through the PR side of it? Well, I, I do think that one thing that they want to do or are trying to do, and I don't think they're always succeeding in that. And, and part of it, I don't think it's necessarily their fault, but they're trying to play to everybody's strengths. You know, like that's that is a theme on the football team. And I think that's that is a theme maybe throughout the building. And David Cully is a happy, joyful person, you know, like he, he, I think serves as a hype man, just fine. Someone to go out and talk to the crowd. And, and he seems like a very simple man. And I think there's some connectivity there with just the average fan and the average person who's out there, uh, you know, still following the team at this point. So I, I think there's some utility there and the ideal role for David Cully is to be that is to be, the positive public face, kind of what we were talking about earlier, just a, a, a just a different Bill O'Brien was never that way. Like, you yeah. know, he's even he never given a speech. <laughs> no, no. And and if he did, it'd be forced, you know, like that, like he, he is the opposite of what a hype man would have been. So I, I think there's some utility that the issue is with David Cully is that they've run into conflict and he's not a seasoned public speaker. You know, he's not someone who's been out and out front and in front of the microphone a lot and had to do a lot of these press conferences and speak to a lot of whatever issues were on the different teams that he's been on. He's been in the background for the most part, not even as a coordinator. To me, him not being having not been a coordinator, that stuck out. The fact that it meant that he hadn't really done a lot of media, that stuck yeah. out to me more than just the necessarily even the football part, because I, I was fully willing to to concede that he could know plenty of football at 60 something years old and haven't been around football his whole life. Him not having coordinated an offense didn't necessarily bother me as much as it meant this guy hasn't been up, hasn't been out front. He hasn't been, you know, uh, in center a lot, you know, so, 
and at that time, we already had the issue with Deshaun Watson uh, as far as wanting to be traded. We had the trade request already. Didn't have all of the other stuff off the field. But as all of that develops, it makes it even more contentious and, ma- and it makes it even more awkward and difficult for this inexperienced public speaker who's really there to be positive and for his positivity, who's not necessarily the, the best with conflict management and how to deal with some of these Deshaun Watson questions. And like, I don't, I don't know if it's gotten much better with Cully in answering no. Deshaun Watson yeah. questions. No. Like, like it's, it's only gotten slightly better in that he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't like go on and on and, and he talks less. Yeah. Say, I think saying less has helped him, but it still hasn't been good. Right. So it's, yeah. it's actually been pretty bad. So, so, so on that front, I don't think that they honestly don't think that the Texans anticipated that he would have to be the guy out front on an issue like this because they didn't have that when he got hired. You know, they could have I think they could have dealt with the Deshaun, you know, trade request. You know, honestly, while all this other stuff, he's probably gone already. Right. You know, he's probably he's he might, he might even be traded by by the draft. They may, may never have to deal with it anyway. So I don't know, man. It's it's just a it, it's a it, it is interesting, but I I see, I feel like I understand what David David Cully's utility is supposed to be, and it's supposed to be positive. You know, things have been negative, so now we want to be positive. We're gonna bring in this positive guy who who can connect with people, and seems relatable, and all that sort of thing. Um, so that 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 to me is consistent with like just the logic of why you would bring a guy in like that. Um, but as far as, you know, as far as coaching, you know, we, we, we just talked about it. Like, it seems like Nick Casario might actually be the head head coach, you know, and then David Cully is then the coach or the associate and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the, the impression that, that you get. And it- it's odd, I think, as well, because, you know, it almost pains them to lie, I think, in times, doesn't it? Because you saw when he gave the no comment today, um, if Deshaun would play in future uh, in future preseason games. And he has got better at it, but there's some type of, I, I think that they've, they've almost awkwardly handled it at times. Um, you know, day to day, he's not got the reps, so he's not he's not going to play when that's something you can control. You know, he, you know he, they're the yeah. ones scripting this practice, and he could, he, they could give him third-team reps would be better than watching Drift, Jeff Driscoll sail out of bounds. Um, yeah, see, the, the, the no comment, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the no comment on that, I'm standing right there and I'm like, oh God, that's the worst, that's that's next to, to the worst answer that you could give because it, it's, it's uh, you're avoiding, you say yeah. you're evasive and it's, and it's obviously it's ambiguous. So it's not a, it's not an answer to the question. Whereas you could have said, you could have still been ambiguous, but you could have said, hey, you know what? We're just worried about Green Bay right now. We're, we 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 don't have time to focus. He's probably not going to play against the Packers. And we'll worry about next week when, when next week comes. This is a week-to-week league or, you know, yeah. like that That was the time to give the the coaching cliches. You know, yeah. there, you know, there's a time for it. And that was it. And he gave no comment. And I'm still like, oh no, goodness he, he, gracious, that's not he it. Followed not it he followed it up with almost like a, a revolting twitch. I don't know if you noticed that. Anyway, like with his neck as after he said no comment. Well, because he, he's trying what he's doing there, he's trying to go to the next question. He wants to find the next person that's gonna oh, ask right, okay. the non-Deshaun right. question. 
Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge for me. And you could have said like I've just answered that question. Next question, please. It would have been you know that would have been as dismissive, but yeah, perhaps not as not as I think not as uh, necessarily awkward. I think I think he's probably fumbled his way through that. And I I I think it's good that we've got a game coming up because we'll be able to see him. Does he add actually value in terms of you know directing the team? You know, not necessarily timeouts and and uh, challenges are going to be that important in a game like this, obviously, but. But but certainly, you know, does does he manage the game well? Because that's he's, he's not got many he's not got many responsibilities. He's certainly not playing call and plays, and he's you know he's not trying to do too much like we've seen in the past. Because both our last two head coaches have called plays, um, you know, invariably the whole time. So it's that's a lot to to take on. So yeah, if if he manages to to, to take that CEO role into a game and it, and it's and it's and it goes off without any you know blading hitches. Um, you know, some odd decisions going it for fourth down your own end zone. You know, I mean, O'Brien was littered with them because it was a lot. It's a lot to process, call and plays, and then and then trying to manage a game as well. So as long as he can do that, I think he'll fulfil that role in a way that he was designed to do. But certainly, I think yeah, in front of the media, he's he's, he's learned a lot of harsh le- lessons early. I think so. Guys that were in front of the media today were the three top draft picks in the in the rookie class. Davis Mills, Brown, Jordan, Nico Collins. What what's been your sort of observations of those three guys thus far? Yeah, so let's start with with Davis Mills, the the quarterback. Yeah, disappointing and, was a headline. One one of them. That's been well, and and, and it's, it's been highly discussed. And I, I mean, I'm just gonna tell you, as someone who's been out there watching, it has not been good. It has not been promising. Now. I might not be the best witness to this because I'm on record of having not been in favor of that draft pick to begin with. I didn't like any of the quarterbacks that were available in that spot at the time. So I am, you know, this is for me consistent with what I sort of was expect, maybe a little worse even from what I was expecting. Um, now it hasn't been all bad. Like everything that he does out there is not bad. I think that that, you know, maybe maybe the fact that and I thought about this, maybe sitting with some of the other media that we, we don't tweet out and, and video and, and photograph every good thing that he does. You know, we don't we don't necessarily tell you guys about every single thing that that looks normal or routine or good, positive. So in some ways, there's an imbalance in the impression that y'all are getting from him or that y'all are getting about him uh, just from observing the guy, the, the folks that are out there. Um, but I will say, you know, and I know we're talking about the rookies. Davis Mills has not been the worst quarterback in camp by any stretch. Yeah. That that title goes to one Jeff Driscoll. Yeah. For sure. Which, for which sure. you mean you mean you think, what the fuck did Ryan Finley do to piss them off that badly oh, after trading from him to get I literally was just saying this to was it either maybe maybe Cody Davis from the Locked On Texans podcast. I think it was who I was who I was speaking about or speaking to this. Same point about like, man, how bad was that guy? You know, never mind the fact that they, you know, that they traded for him. You know, how bad must he have been in mini camp? You know, yeah. uh, or, or OTAs even to to for this to be the <laughs> for this to be what they ended up with. You know, for them to to cut the guy that they traded for for this guy. You know, so it's very obvious uh, to to wrap up on Mills that he is going to be the backup quarterback unless they bring another guy in because it's not going to be Jeff Driscoll. Driscoll's more than likely, if he sticks around, if he even makes it, would be on the practice squad. And you could expect Davis Mills to be the backup quarterback if things play out the way we expect with Terod Taylor being the starter and, and Davis Mills being the backup. But it has not been great. 
Um, and someone asked me on social media, is it, does it seem to be more so accuracy or timing? Uh, is he trying to fit it into tight windows? Like what seems to be the issue exactly? You know, they wanted me to be specific. And if I'm honest, man, it's all, all of it. You know, yeah. it's all of it. Like, like the, the accuracy is, is, is a little is a little bit inconsistent, but more so an issue of of timing being a little bit late on on, on throws, um, the anticipation just not quite there on an NFL level yet. Uh, Clint Star standing next to Clint Sterner for a couple of these former quarterback, um, who at the very least knows what you know what a what a rookie maybe should look like at this point, and it's just not there. You know, it's it's honestly not there, and so that's a little bit disappointing. You know, when you think about. Yeah. That's that's your third round pick, and you figure, you know, it's one thing for to to fail on a pick. I, I I'll never be one who's up in arms about failing on a pick, but just the idea that maybe that wasn't really the spot to go anyway for me. Like maybe maybe yeah. you could you've gotten a more could you've gone in a different position, got a more impactful player there, um, especially knowing that players were flying off. You like that was an issue for you not having any early picks. You saw players flying off the board that you liked. So to use that on a quarterback who, for me, just didn't didn't have more much more upside past to being a backup anyway, it, it just disappointing. You know, was, was was hoping to go in there and see Davis Mills really look impressive, and you know that, that doesn't mean that the book is written on him that it, that'll never be anything, but the initial impression is not a great one. Now, that's the bad news. The good news and the great news, Nico Collins. Let me tell you, man, there's something there. Like, there is something there. Like, he's, you, you want to ask about the guys that just stand out physically, the guys that yeah. you could, you know, you watch them in individual drills, in seven on seven, 11 on 11, whatever it is. And they just stand out and you're like, whoa, who's that guy? Who's the, wait, wait, you know, say you don't know. Who yeah, he's changed his number twice, isn't he? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, even if you know, even if you know who he is, you go, who's that guy? Yeah. You know, who's that? Who's that? You know, even if you're like just rhetorical to yourself and Nico's one of those guys, Anthony Miller, I know we're talking about the rookies. Anthony Miller's one of those guys, you know, Laramie Tunsil obviously is one of those guys you're like, whoa, wait, that guy's different. That guy's yeah. different from the rest, from everybody else in his position group, you know? Yeah. Um, so Nico already looks like that. Like you think about it, the best comp physically, right, is, and, and Chris Conley's look fine, but the best comp physically is going to be Nico Collins and Chris Conley as the sort of the big body guys or, or tall lanky sort of receivers that you have on the team or at least in camp right now. And again, Chris Conley has been fine. Nico stands out, just stands out, you know, just different physically. Um, So I've been very impressed with him and have enjoyed watching, uh, watching him so far because obviously the storyline behind the Nico Collins pick, and I wish, you know, he was on in the loop. My my guys uh, here at Sports Radio six ten. He was on there. Yeah, he was not in the car. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to speak with Nico today for a, for a number of reasons. But if I had been, I I would have loved to have just asked him if he has any kind of appreciation for what it means to trade up for a guy. Like I I don't know if a guy coming out of college is trying to make the league really re- if it really registers with him when a GM trades up for you and and what the picks mean and how fans view that and, you know, how that colors the evaluation of him as a player, you know, 
And so I've always wondered that, like, what what is a guy's awareness of that? Does he even does it motivate him? Does it is it a chip on the shoulder? Like, I don't know. Like, it, how does the guy even view that if he views it at all? And I'd love to know. But that is the story, right? Like, you know, you made you made a move to go up and get the guy again because you saw guys fly, flying off the board. And so, to me, like the Davis Mills pick is what it is. But the the Nico Collins pick to me almost kind of has to work. You know, like that, that yeah. is an, to me an important, that's a very important move. But you give up a, a third, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a very important move and selection in evaluating both Nick Casario in, and, and this regime, let's say, because he's not by himself. Yeah. So evaluating them as a whole in drafting and trading, you know, like what's the value of a trade? What's the value of a draft? You know, all of that. You know, how did they do? So I think there's a little bit of pressure on him, not that he feels it necessarily or, or even has an appreciation for what I'm saying, you know, which yeah. I I, hope, I kind of hope for his sake that he doesn't, that he doesn't even view it that way. But very, very, very fun watching Nico Collins out there. And then Brevin Jordan, Brevin Jordan has been fine, I think, but has not stood out the way that I expected him to. I'll say that because... And, and I know he's, that, it, you know, he's a rookie and everything, but I, I did, you know, in the, at the time, you know, we're hearing everybody say, hey, this could be the best pick that they had. This yeah. could be the, you know, and as I'm not seeing that right now, that guy's Nico, you know, yeah. um, the, the most impressive rookies for me, honestly, so far, just in case, just can't for whatever camps were, the yeah. most impre- impressive rookies have been Nico Collins and Roy Lopez. Right. Uh, the Roy, Roy's, getting, Roy's getting a run by the ones. Well, so every now and then, every yeah. now and then, for, but for for the most part, it's with the twos. But you got to understand also, like with the ones, I was I was trying to explain this to somebody else, but every now and then the ones will look different, you know, yeah. like yeah. like like Laramie Tunsil's the one, right? But sometimes he's not running in the drills, and and Roger Johnson's the one is, yeah, the yeah, one. Okay. And, and and they'll do that along the line, you know. So you you have your idea of who the ones are. But then you look out there and there's a hodgepodge mix of guys who are ones and twos and you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it, it's not always, and I don't know if they do that to mess with us too, because there is a little thing about them. Who's the one and who's the two. I don't know if they're, if so, if that's a mind bleep with us too or what, but uh, I haven't tried to read too much into ones and twos as I see them as much as who's making plays because some of the ones we know, like Larry Tunsil's the starting left tackle. Like some of these guys, we know who are going to be the ones. But I, I try to focus on who's performing and then make a lot of these. That's why the value. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit later. But the value of the preseason games, you know, yeah, I think yeah. I think that'll di- dictate and determine a lot of what the depth ends up looking like ultimately. But uh, but Brevin Jordan, it's not. An, I don't mean it as a knock or a negative. I'm just saying it, it has not flashed just yet. But it's one of the reasons why I'm excited to see him in the uh, in the preseason yeah. And, yeah. And, and and what that looks like in actual competition. Um, th- to the point about him, since we're talking about him, I, I think there's something to be said for the position group that he's in. That I mean, Farrell Brown is just the the, the best guy there right now. Um, yeah. You know, he's the he is the the one the tight end that stands out amongst the group. I know there's a lot of belief and and hope with Jordan Akins having been a draft pick and everything. And Kyle, if people are holding out for Kahali wearing, 
who always stands out because he's just in the dynasty. Like he's a, looks like a, like a God out there just physically, you know? Uh, but I'm talking about, like when you're talking about football, like actually yeah. making plays and doing things with, with the football. I mean, that guy's Farrell Brown, you know, when you're watching yeah. the tight ends, can't help to kind of fixate on that guy. Um, especially ever since he came back with the COVID stuff and everything. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if Brevin's suffering a little bit from that, that, you know, he's just got other guys between, you know, between Brown, uh, Farrell Brown, Jordan Akins, Ryan Izzo has stood out a little bit, uh, you know, to my surprise. Um, and I don't know if that's just cause they've had him doing a lot cause Farrell was out for a while. Um, but if that was my assessment of the top guys, I'd say Nico's the, the only one who has stood out. Davis Mills, as has been widely reported, and I can confirm for you, has been underwhelming. Yeah. And Brevin Jordan is just right there, kind of I would put him on the status quo. Yeah, and I, I suppose you how much do you have to do you think do you have to take with a pinch of salt all these training reports? training camp reports because I've got four for you here right this is from last year so I looked up some from last year and obviously mm-hmm. there's you know pick you know trend and holiday I mean even Cali wearing last year or two years ago in Green Bay joint practices rave reviews guy's going to be something gets concussion mysterious injury you know goes on various lists and doesn't see much playing time but so last year just did a quick search uh so it said John Reed has had the best camp out of all the rookies that was one that came out last year <laughs> <laughs> played a handful of snaps in the first quarter against uh, against Kansas City because Lonnie Johnson tweeted before the game he was only in by punishment and uh, and he plays in very, very limited snaps all year. A.G. Moore had a great camp. Maybe he could have been true if he didn't get injured against Pittsburgh week four because he was rotating in as a third safety. Um, David Johnson looks lethal. That was another one that came out last year, which again, maybe for half the first game was accurate and this yeah, is real quick real quick before you go to the next one on david johnson he does look lethal similar to the kahali wearing situation because physically the guy is just put together and, and is just physically impressive so yeah. i think in shells it would with not actual football and no competition he does even to this day even though we know better now for sure he does look lethal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the best one, which was the, and I suppose it was true in some ways, but it says, and I'm not, I'm not repeating who it was, but it was a certain journalist for a, a paid subscription news site. Says the defense is going to be exotic and bring a lot of different types of blitzes this year. Oh man, dude, we all did that. I look, I don't know who that is, but I'll fall on the sword for whoever it is because we were fed that. Everyone was fed that. Anthony Weaver was a guy, you know, Anthony was a guy that we all liked and wanted to succeed. And so I think we just kind of believed in it. Maybe we overlooked the fact that they didn't have a lot of talent. And, you know, the, the and there were a couple of things that went that went south too, you know, between Gary on Conley and his this catastrophic thing with the the ankle, it, it, you know, surgery, him never coming back, yeah. him having no answer for their second corner. And things just kind of falling apart. You know, that it's funny. We all thought that we were like, oh, man, exotic blitzes. This is going to be great. Can't wait. And then and then we're like, oh, but you know what? They're not any good. You know, they're going to have to play. They're going to have to do their best to play zone. They can't really they can't really man up with anybody. Um, 
you know, this is not, there's, there's no talent here. And now this year it's like, Oh, everything's simple. We're simplifying everything. We're yeah. just going to let guys rip, you know, see ball, get ball, you know? Um, so it's just trying to now trying to go the opposite of what was the narrative of last year, but all of us fell for that uh, banana tail pipe last year, man. It was, uh, it was not, it was not good. It was not I good. suppose, I suppose it was exotic in the sense that you had, a guy who a guy who you brought in and paid for safety, you played you played him in the slot. You drafted yeah. a corner in the second round, and then you moved them to safety without telling him preseason yep. or on the off season. Yeah. You then exactly. brought in you then brought in a slot corner and put him on the boundary, and then you brought a guy who wasn't even a practice squad player and made him play the boundary. So that was exotic in the sense that you really mixed it up. It was certainly unusual, but it wasn't effective. You benched a guy for tweeting. You benched a guy yeah. in the season opener against the Super Bowl defending Super Bowl champions. You benched him for tweeting and played a rookie. Yeah. Who's not, you know, who's not spectacular. Yeah. You know, so it was very exotic. It was very exciting. You 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 forced, and I don't even know if forced is the right word. I have to go back and look at all nine of the turnovers, but that says that, you know, or you know, you 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 forced the fewest, what was it, the fewest turnovers in well, I don't know how 1968 years. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like it was uh JJ Watt tied for the lead in interceptions with mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And I would say yeah. the only the only quality but, one, like the only break on the ball, like you know, like quality interceptions, probably Bradley Roby's one in Tennessee. I think that right, was yep, the only yep. few that actually made it. And I suppose when you hear all that, I just I suppose sidetrack tracking a little with his defense, but you know, when you hear about oh, it's simplified. I've got less of a role. It's let you know. It, it's a more of more of a straightforward you know, uh, you know, division of 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 responsibility in all three levels yeah. of the defense. You think why doesn't you know when you hear that? I was I keep thinking so why doesn't every coach do that? You know why was if you don't have a unit of players who've been together for two or three years, and you can allow those wrinkles, you and you can set you know. And I remember like Trinell, like in the seventeen eighteen season, would set traps, and you get you get you get players to attack zones and, and and transition into space to try and get the quarterback to throw in it, and you could see that on the tape. But what's the what's the hesitancy? I know, and I think it's a, it's a it's a league where everybody's got egos and they're trying to outthink and outcoach each other. But that just kind of seems to me that we 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 didn't have the quality of players to. Try and operate the scheme, which is not not breaking news, by the way, but it just shows you how much guys were being asked to do and how much they were being asked to consider every snap, and it was almost freezing them from just doing the basics, you know, and tackling being the biggest one last year. Yeah, and and with the defense specifically, <laughs> we talk about factions. I, I'm I'm not trying to put anything out there that this was that there was a, a beef between position groups, but you know, <laughs> we had. If we go back and look at it, and it's probably still the same question mark because, you know, Zach Cunningham, pretty elite player. Terrell Adams was fine for what he was. Not a great, not an elite player by any means, but fine for what he was. The linebacker play, all right. But up front and in the back and on the back end, like, you know, these guys couldn't cover, they couldn't rush. And there was a feeling, you know, yeah, I talked to at least one defensive lineman for the, that that played on the team last year who thought, man, you know, if these guys could cover, we could get to the quarterback. You know, and, you know that was you know part of the feeling. You know, and so they they knew they knew that they didn't have the personnel to do pretty much any of the things that they wanted to. Yeah, and and scheme change aside, I suppose, and it goes maybe back to that Nico Collins, but 
as well that we've not really added many guys. And I know they're being asked to do different responsibilities. And there's going to be a lot more zone. There'll be you know, probably an extra safety in there most of the time. You're going to be covered too zone it's kind of a little bit harder to throw into you're going to have maybe four guys you've now got probably an extra linebacker mm. dropping into coverage to you know to, to fill out that second level zone uh and, and and make it you know make the quarterback read and react a little bit quicker but you know that all being said it's there hasn't been a an investment there isn't a player in there that we've brought in that think yeah that guy's going to go make a difference and i think that's the that's, I suppose, going back to that previous point of these tra- these are reports of training camp. You've got to take them a pinch of salt. But that being said, we have had the pads on for the last for the last couple of practices, and that's where you start to tell a bit of it, and obviously we'll see in Green Bay. But since the pads have gone on, is there any guys that have stuck out to you that you thought, yeah, now it looks different when we're kind of getting towards, you know, real football and a better cause? Yeah, for me, for me, it's Farrell Brown, man. It, it, it's Farrell Brown. Um the defensive line, I would say, in general, since the pass came on. So, of course, we all know this, but just to reiterate, can't really evaluate the offensive line when they're out there in T-shirts and shorts, right? Yeah. The offensive line doesn't have pads. You can't really evaluate football at all, but you certainly can't evaluate the offensive-defensive line if they're out there just, you know, playing patty cake and slapping hands and whatnot. So what has stood out to me more than anything since the pass got on is that whether whether you want to say that the offensive line is bad or the defensive line is good, I don't think you can say fairly since they're playing against each other. But you could say that the defensive line had, seems to have a leg up on the offensive line. Like when you look at those one-on-one drills and when you, when you kind of check them out in competition, those guys right now seem to be better. Um, so that that is what has stood out to me more than anything. Um, you know, I think about, you know, I, I think about Shaq Lawson as as somebody who I was hoping would be would would flash more, um, but but hasn't like I can remember going, uh, you know, thinking uh, when they first put the pads on, like where is Shaq Lawson? And then I had to I had to seek him out in some of the uh, individual drills, but then you go look at the individual drills and he looks pretty good. You know, he looks pretty good once you once you really key in on him, but it, it just hasn't really necessarily come together for me in the, um, you know, in the you know in, in more of the eleven on eleven stuff. Um, there's a couple more. Uh, just just for you on that, just before you come back, that I think that mm-hmm. the Feral the Feral Brown one is a really interesting one because you know he's a guy that almost lost his leg in college and he was a big mm-hmm. big time player in Oregon. And I know that, like you know, the Pac-12, you can, it's probably not the best breeding ground for for tight ends uh, because they're, yeah, I mean, the style, the style that's played in that in that conference is is what it is. But but I think you know, I think we've, there's, and I know that's been said about Davis Mills, and it, it's easy conjecture, right? And it's an easy sort of forecast to make about somebody. But you know, I think there was definitely a an assertion around people close to that program. If he hadn't have had the injuries he had, he would have, you know, been a, a lot more turned you know, a valued prospect when he came out and obviously then went to Oakland uh, and then, and then bounced to Cleveland. And then, but he said that, and he said, look, this is my first ever press conference today. And he said, I, I came here because I was behind guys that were making $10 million a year. And there was nobody like that on this roster. That's why I came here when I got asked. 
He's never had a yeah. chance. And I, I think it albeit Watson was throwing him in the ball. But at the end of last season, he looked like a starting tight end, particularly week 17. I thought, you know, this guy's got it, I think. And we've probably not had a big body guy. I know Fells had a good year in 19. He probably filled that role as best we, we have done since probably CG Fedorowicz. But I think just while we're on the tight ends, Brandon, I think there's definitely a perception that there's going to be a short, sharp passing game where the Titans are going to be involved in a lot in this short to intermediary routes, you know, curls, quick, quick outs, you know, kind of kind of easy stuff for the quarterback to take matchups on. And it, you could probably argue in some ways that you've got, if you've got a, a unit, and albeit tight ends, you take a lot less, but if you've got a unit where you've got a, a 2019 third round draft pick in real danger of not making the roster, I, I think they might take four rather than rather than three, just because I think they want to play some sort of bigger bigger sets at line of scrimmage if they're going to be committed to running the ball. But I think that probably is a testament to the strength of that group if you've got, uh, you know, a draft pick or a recent draft pick in the third round likely not to make the roster or is in certainly danger of not making it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that through as you're talking about it, that, you know, certainly like Farrell Brown's on the roster, guys, just breaking news, he's going to make it. Brevin Jordan, I feel safe saying that he's going to make it because they drafted him and they're going to at least give him some time to figure it out. So there's two that you that I would consider locks. Then you start to talking about, okay, Jordan, Jordan Akins, you feel like is probably the third guy, but is it Ryan Izzo? You know, um, all Claire that they brought in from, uh, you know, from, from Tampa has out, been out there. So you, you're like, okay, is he, he seems to be like fighting for that, for that third spot. I don't know if that means he's third on the depth chart, but that that is where I have him fighting for the third spot. And it does uh it does bode well for you when a guy who you've liked, who you've seen and, and have been impressed with at times, when that guy is fighting for a spot on the roster, you do feel like you've done some upgrades or at least seen some things there from like because I know Farrell was obviously on the team last year. But but yeah, no, I mean, he's one of the guys that stood out. And, and just to kind of reiterate what you were saying about the, the, the short routes. I mean, f- first of all, with Farrell, I would point out that, you know, the difference with, with Farrell and, and D- Darren Fells and really the reason why he stands out more than anybody is, you know, I, I mean, obviously he's a big guy. He's a big dude. But I mean, he's a dog in the run game. Like he's a he is an adept pass catcher and, and a guy who, you know, the you know, 21st century tight end that you that you envision and is also a badass when it comes to, you know, getting after it in the run game. So, and, and, and I don't know if you tell me if you agree with this or not, but I don't know if they've really had a dog. I can't, they haven't had really a dog like that, you know. Yeah. Um, Joe Dreesen, you know, maybe something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, yeah. it's, it's, you have to go back, you know, and certainly, you know, disrespect to Phil. Casey, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they don't, he, he, but he is that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that that is, that stands out. And then again, to the point about the short and intermediate routes in the passing game, that is going to be the identity of the passing game, at least, you know, and that's why I look for Pharaoh and the Titans in general, just as a group, I, I look for them to be, a, you know, a formidable group and also the, you know, the slide receivers and, you know, Anthony Miller and like, I mean, he's flashed. You know, Anthony Miller's been really impressive, just like just physically. You know, like I was talking about earlier, those guys are like, wait, who's that guy? He's one of those. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out with the slide. If it's, you know, if, if Kiki QT makes the team, how involved he is in the offense and all of that. But these guys, 
these slot guys and tight ends and the fact that all of the running backs that they've put on the team are pass catchers. And like, these guys are going to be very important in what, you know, the, the, what the passing game is ultimately going to look like, uh, because that, I mean, that's what the personnel dictates. So, you know, obviously if your quarterback is Terod Taylor and not Deshaun Watson, as we expect it to be. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that Pharaoh is somebody that I'm really watching to have, you know, I don't want to kind of over dramatize and call it a breakout year, but I expect it to be really solid. Just sort of don't I mean, they were slot receivers. I still can't quite get my head around how they managed to get that Randall Cole contract off the books, but it just shows you when you've got, uh, <laughs> you've hey, got an influential look, quarterback. A, a little bit. Sometimes you need a little bit of luck. That's yeah. why I look, I think that is a perfect example of why, it is so risky to call your shot and to say what could never happen. Yeah. You know, cause I, I think, you know, I'm not much of a betting man, but like, so I don't, I don't really gamble a lot, but I would have been comfortable telling you that yeah, Randall Cobb is going to be on this football team. Yeah. Cause ain't, cause ain't nobody trading for that. You know, um, there are some teams that might still like Randall Cobb, but not at the, not at the amount that Bill O'Brien decided to pay him, you know? Um, but there is one. There is one person other than Bill O'Brien who thinks that Randall Cobb is worth his contract as a quarterback, and it's, yeah. and it's Aaron Rodgers, uh, <laughs> which is which matters. You know, you know that matters. If it was, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know, just name somebody who's not influential in their organization. If it was somebody like that, who cares, right? But it's Aaron Rodgers, a disgruntled Aaron Rodgers, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, I don't think he was really flirting with retirement, but. Who's giving that vibe, you know, type of thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I think that is that is an example of luck and how luck can, uh, you know, sometimes that's a, that, that is a factor. And <laughs> you, a, you, very lucky to be able to get rid of that contract. Yeah, I think it's just you. We've, we've done it a year earlier. So I think that's with, you know, with kind of similar dead money to what you would have done if you'd have walked away from it next year. So it's yeah. uh, it's a good move. And you pick up a late draft pick and yeah, yeah. it's what and, it is. And, and, and to be able to replace him with essentially be able to replace, yeah. replace him with what is, I think, to me, objectively a better player at, the, at this point. Yeah, in cheaper. 20, yeah. In 2021, yeah. cheaper and better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, and you've got a chance to keep him in house because I know Casario, I think we've got, what, 24 players on one year contracts of the 40 that signed something like that. So, so that sounds yeah, right. Yeah. Sounds and I, I think it's it, when people were kind of like, oh, Casario said he's not going to, He's not going to wait till the off season to uh, resign guys. And I was thinking, like, you better hope not, because you'll not, you'll not yeah. be able to get through them. You know, by the off season, yeah. just simply won't be possible. If you just say you wanted to bring back a lot of averages, six, eight of those guys, even trying to get through the six or eight contracts is going to be really difficult. If you're seeing it's yeah. a priority, you don't want them to hit free agency. So I was thinking, yeah, well, it's going to have to. <laughs> yeah, you'll, be holding, you'll be holding tryouts, and, yeah. and you yeah. know, you'll have guys out there who. <laughs> You know, don't look anything like pros. <laughs> try to, be, try to be I, I just had sort of visions on booking that, that uh, Marriott Marquise, you know, the one with the, the, the Texas uh, Texas Lazy River up the top, the Texas state shape Lazy River for yeah. him doesn't know. But I just had a vision of him speed dating all the agents to try and get all the contracts negotiated at the end of yeah. the season. Because if, you know, if there's a number of guys you want to keep on this roster, and hopefully there is, um, yeah. you, you know, then then, then he's, he's going to have a lot of work to do. And it's going to be probably even busier off-season because you're going to have that whole wave of, retaining guys in house and, and whatnot. But um yeah in in terms of the run game, there's a couple of points here. So in terms of the run game, that's obviously a, a, that was a fundamental flaw of this football team last year. We couldn't run the ball 
and and it made that we just kept, we went past happy, reasonably predictable. Uh, but we're not going to have the luxury of a, a top five quarterback. It would seem on this roster to to, to afford that luxury. What have you seen in the limited padded practices that have been out there that give you hope that we're going to be able to run the ball better this year? Yeah, so real quick, not to avoid you, because I didn't give you Jordan Jenkins. He was the other one that is oh, that has stood okay. out to me. In, yeah, in Pat. No. So he wanna, looks like a monster when you see him yeah. walking. He's another physical, yeah. imposing yeah. guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, yes, and quick. Very, very, very quick off the ball. So, um, and, and that stands out. I, I, you know, he was one of the ones that I was interested to see how he, you know, how he exactly would fit in and, and would be used and everything. And he's going to be somebody that I think isn't going to stand out and has stood out to me in pads. I just wanted to wrap that up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but as far as the run game, I, I think that I'll, I'll just say this because I, I, I think that more than anything, Philip Lindsay's prayer. I don't know. I don't know if we've talked about that enough. You know, just as a collective, not you know, not you and I, but just as a collective. Philip Lindsay, two-time, is it two-time thousand-yard rusher? I can look it up right now. But this is a guy who, for, for the limited, I think the limited success, and you know, you got a limited sample size, but has been successful in the limited sample size is a guy who probably should have, like he's not like one of the top backs in the league or, or anything, but I think he's a lot better than what he ended up getting. Uh, the You know, the one-year deal worth yeah, of four million. Yeah. yeah, like that That to me is a, could potentially be a steal. And Philip Lindsay has looked very good out there. Um, now, the thing that concerns, so if, you, if you're asking for my impressions on the run game, the thing that stands out to me is, hey, you've got to to me, you know, a a bona fide number one in Philip Lindsay, which I don't think you had last year. You had you were David and uh, you know Duke and David Johnson, or bust, and neither one of those guys I think is really your three down back. Yeah. Where, whereas I I don't know how great of a three down back Philip Lindsay can be, but he's better than those guys. And then if you can supplement that with whatever combination of Mark Ingram, David Johnson, and Rex Burkhead you got. I like that. What I don't like, or what I should say I'm still skeptical on, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, think I'm sold on the running backs. It, with If Philip Lindsay's the guy, is the top yeah. guy. Yeah. But with the line, that's my issue, right? I don't know, and, and I'm not necessarily down on it. I just, the offensive line and the musical chairs that they're doing there, I think is where... I have pause and I'm still just hesitant to tell you for sure, hey, this is going to be a better run game. You know, I think they're still figuring things out on the inside. Now, Justin Britt, I think and I hope he, I mean, he looks nasty out there, out there, you know, sc- scrapping a little bit with Charles Minihue. And, you know, he, he's got, I think that's another guy when you talk about somebody that's got like dog in him, you know, it, it might sound a little cliche, but that's just a, t- you know, a tough dude. So I like him. I think that's an upgraded center. But I don't know exactly what's going on at the guard spots. You know, yeah. they're they're rotating a bunch of guys in there. You know, I know I'm sure you've seen that Titus has played a lot on the left side at left guard. Um, you know, he did that. Uh, was it his the, the first game he played his rookie year? I think he might have played there. So he played week two, didn't he, against um... – that was Jacksonville, Jacksonville wasn't it? Jacksonville, when, when they home. when yeah. when they went for the two point conversion late, and they did run the ball, and then I think they did it week three against Carolina, 
as well. Um, and then I think it was week four, wasn't it, in San Diego? Well, or LA that they moved when they moved uh, when they moved him over to right and they put Sharp in that left tackle, yeah. Yeah, left guard. Yeah. So I mean, I, I mean, I'm still just trying to figure that out, man. Honestly, like I don't. They to me with the line going going up against. I mean, this offensive line is going up against this defensive line that I just told you I'm impressed with and has looked good and has outplayed them. Yeah. So, so yeah. I can't. And these are guys who yeah. about those guys, you know. Well, that's it, and I think we, that's the worry, isn't it? Because you think like, like, why was Jordan Jenkins not re-upped in New York on a roster mm-hmm. bereft of talent? Yeah. You know why was Philip Lindsay not kept on? on Denver and they basically relinquished the, the, the restricted tender um, and let them go without like a really obvious like upside replacement. Oh, well, you know, this is the number one, you know, I know Melvin Gordon's there, but he's kind of seen probably better days. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. That, that's, that's the, the interesting bit. Just for, I've got, I do have a bit of a theory, but I want to make sure it's not half-baked. Dontrell Hilliard, has he been given a fair crack in your eyes from what you've seen? Like they're trying to really work out what he's got. Not not in the eleven on elevens, I don't think. Okay. I, I wouldn't say. Um yeah, I again to reiterate, that's why I think the preseason is gonna be important because I don't have a great explanation for you on why that is. Yeah, tight end running backs, I think you can't really tell them until yeah. the in the well, preseason. Yeah. Well, but especially on a team like this when everybody's a hard scrabble guy, like I was saying before, you know, everybody's trying to go out there and get it. Um and you got very few uh, guaranteed spots. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that is, that is a good observation for the preseason games. I asked, gosh, was it, it was, must've been, maybe it was a special teams coach, um, uh, about, you know, the, who are the running backs? You know, I was trying to see if I could get a tell out of them about maybe who, you know, who are the running backs yeah. that, are, that might be good on special teams. So I could figure out, so I could do my process of elimination and nailing down like who, who's who, you yeah. know? Um, and I didn't, you know, obviously I didn't get a straight answer on that, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, as far as camp, you know, obviously you see them out there in individual drills, you know, mm-hmm. that that's when you get to kind of look at everyone, but that's, I mean, what is that, you know? So, uh, well, in the team stuff, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. No, okay. No, I just wondered because I know he uh, was always one that stuck out that signing because they brought him in, tried to get him play return game. He sort of said, I've never done it ever before, but they just stuck me back there. Um, and then he obviously was signed before Casario signed here. So I just wondered if there was other forces at play there with that one. Um, just like, I, and I thought that coupled with, this seems to be a real, and I know that he looks completely different if you see him, even from a clip from a, you know, from a camera phone. Charlie Hitt looks a lot different this year, but I just thought, yeah, yeah I just thought that was, there was those two, and it was almost like it was being forced and shoehorned in. I wonder if there was maybe a certain uh, individual was trying to force, or or that was his, in, or or a sign, or a, or or a, or a, a bubbling to the surface of his uh, influence, perhaps, and a, a fourth round pick on his watch, and he was being made sure he gets a good goal at the expense of probably Titus Howard, who's still not even played two full seasons due to injury. Yeah, I mean, that is uh, so that's another underrated storyline in camp is probably the Charlie Heck at right tackle. You know, that's the coinciding move with bumping Titus Howard inside. And I will say, you know, they gave Charlie like I know they were 
they were a beaten down team there at the end of the season, but they threw Charlie Heck out there at the end. You know, he was actually, he was one of the few rookies we got to look at, you know, uh, I don't know if we got much in, in, enough of evaluation there, but he played, he played a couple snaps, you know, here and there at the end of the, at the end of the season. Um, and it, it's somebody that they've talked about, you know, with his dad being Andy Heck, mm-hmm. um, the offensive line coach, I guess he's still in Kansas city. Yeah. He is, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, they, you know, they, they like, they, they're, you always hear people talking good about Charlie Heck and then the whole part about him, looking different physically now i never got the impression until you know obviously until recently that anybody thought that he could be a better tackle than uh than than titus howard and so and and so what i what i'm trying to understand about what they're doing there is whether that what they're doing it on on the offensive line with bumping titus howard in the left at left guard and keeping in doing this thing with charlie heck is that more about them feeling like they don't have a solution at left guard and that Charlie head can be serviceable and that they can just kind of plug and play him there at right tackle and that they, that they really need a left guard. Like they don't believe in any of the other guys that, to be the left guard and they're just moving and, and they're just moving over max max sharpen. Cause that's the next best option um, to try to solidify that side. You know, is it, just a, yeah. a, a a lack of good options because to me yeah. conventional wisdom says that you know Titus Howard is your obvious right tackle especially if Marcus Cannon's not out there um so so then and so what is Marcus Cannon also and and where does that factor in is that it is is that really what this is about and you know do they want Marcus Cannon to be their right tackle and that's why they're bumping in Titus Howard to be uh the the left guard. I mean, there there are so many different theories for me there that I'm that I, I really just don't fully understand. Other than to say that Titus is a big, athletic body, who you could like in theory. I can see him playing tackle or inside, like yeah. phys- like physically, just looking at the guy. But if a guy is athletic enough to play tackle. And is and can play tackle, <laughs> you know. You yeah. play him at that to me, just in my mind. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I suppose it, it was maybe a bit of a crash down earth, and it was all the reports on the, on Saturday night under the light, lights about the, you know, him, I'm getting whipped a couple of times by Jacob Martin. But then, you know, if you go back and watch, I think it was it last year or the year, I think it was, it was the year prior, when you watch Jacob Martin going past, you know, some decent quality right tackles. Um, and I'm pretty sure he went past Braden Smith, who just got a big deal at the Colts, you know. So he, he's got the the speed and the first step quickness to get off the line and catch people cold and and, and beat them around the edge. Maybe not regularly enough as 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 his speed and his, his athleticism would probably dictate. But I think there's there's definitely a there's definitely a, a, an issue there, or or there's definitely a a question of continuity prevails at that spot. And if you were to start the season, albeit, okay, you can run the ball to your left considerably well, <laughs> providing Tunsil's interested. You know, we've talked about that before. Sometimes he dogs it in the wrong game. Um, but, yeah, you could run the ball really well. Um, if they are going outside zone, it gives them, you know, to, but it gives you a predictability. But then I suppose at the same time, if you're moving sharpen over again, you're, you're now making three changes when you only need to make two. Um, and... You, you keep the three guys and you assume Brits the starter because it doesn't seem like anybody's really challenging him there. Um, 
you know, and then you find the best man for the the, the right guard spot. What's what do you think about the right guard? Just just assume that that whole jumble uh, of of Heck and and um, and Howard plays itself out either way. You put those two spots to the side. Might be sharp and left guard. You got to hope so. I think they definitely want. It. I've heard Sean Benegas talking about that. He's been given a good crack at it. But what do you see that sort of right guard spot kind of working out? Because it's so key to running the ball. And if you don't get it down early, um, it comes it comes back to haunt you. Because I think in 2019 they waited till week four or five to to go with their their chosen. You know, and remember, you know, and it's easy to forget Central Henderson was out there week one. So you know, I think against the Saints, and so was. Uh, Say hello, Kilimenti, and then you know he kind of dipped in and out. But what what, what do you what do you see it being um, if they're going to get the best line out there? Yeah, so I've watched I've watched Max Sharpen over there a little bit, and you know I honestly think that he could play it, that that he could do it. Um, but you know, for for me. It, it it's still it it is still the biggest question. Like the idea that they have gone from 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 my guy, and I'm I'm blanking on my guy's name from last year that they that's been Zach Fulton. Yeah, who's retired by the way. That, that that Zach Fulton, who's now retired, um, under thirty. I don't know if he's even thirty years old. He might be thirty years old. Um, but to to still having not been able to. To, to figure that out, I think is, you know, I mean, it, it, it's concerning. Like I, like I, like I honestly, you know, um, you know, like I, I honestly can't tell you who, who would be the guy outside of, uh, outside of Max or, or exactly how that's going to, going to, going to play out. Like Ryan McCollum is for the most part a center and, you know, I've watched Ryan McCollum get, beat a couple of times by, uh, by Roy Lopez, you know, as a matter of fact, um, the rookie, you know, so yeah, could that be, you know, is, is he, is he more, could he be a guard? I don't know. Like it, it's, it's the biggest question, honestly, if it's not Max Sharping, um, or, you know, and before camp, that's why the whole left guard thing is throwing me off, if I'm honest with you, because before camp, I thought, okay, well, maybe it's going to be Titus at right guard, which, you know, I thought that was also a little bit ridiculous, right? But, you know, maybe that made more sense. Maybe that maybe that made more sense as the hodgepodge, and it's not, yeah. you know, so... Um, I just so, hope they know. settle. I just hope they settle on, on five and give those guys the best chance. You know, fair enough, up till preseason week one, you've got one week less than you used to do. So, you know, in the next week or so after this first preseason game, or you might even see them in the first preseason game for the first quarter. So I don't know quite how they'll handle it. Do they just, you know, the, the fourth preseason game was always the throwaway, wasn't it? Um, and it yeah. was just all third and fourth stringers. You didn't see anybody yeah. who was ever going to really see the field, you know, in any right. material capacity. So I, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you think they'll handle these games, but you've got to yeah. think preseason one, is going to be, you know, your first quarter minimum, maybe even some in the second quarter, slightly less, and and yeah. or, or the same in preseason two. Then the third game might, you know, go to that. Let's just see if any of these guys can avoid being cut, sort of thing. What, do you yeah. think I'll take that sort of shape, or what do you think? Yeah, well, and and I think that you know the 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 name that that we haven't mentioned is is Lane Taylor, who who you know who could possibly who could possibly be there. At, you know, be your right. He was guard. left guard, wasn't he? Because well, I watched two games in Green Bay, and he was left guard both those games. But then I've heard people 
talking about him playing right guard as well. So he, he well, that, probably that, has done. Yeah. Right. That's so that's that, that's out there, you know, that he could be that he could be your right guard. Um, but I mean, I mean, I honestly just don't know. Um, but I, to the point about the preseason, I, I think it's, you know, entertainment value of the preseason. I mean, depends on, you know, how, how much do you get up for the football, but like for a team like this, and I, I think, I don't know if they, if anybody ever took it for granted necessarily, but you get to really get the value of it, you know, and the utility of it. And I think the Texans are probably going to, you know, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris were doing this exercise on the radio this morning where they were trying to figure out or giving their opinion on how, how long should a guy play? You know, and I get yeah. here the entire segment, but you know, do you play Brandon cooks at all? How many snaps does Philip Lindsay take? You know, um, the, you know, you just think you go up and down the line of guys, you know, how, how long does that kind of have me to be out there if at all? And you, you look at the offensive line and to our, our conversation here about right guard, well, you want to see all the possibilities, right? You want to see Lane Taylor, Max Sharpen, uh, you know, Cold Cold Toner. I don't know whoever else is still left on the on the uh, on the depth chart, right? You know, you want to see anybody that's a possibility there. Um, uh, what's the what's my guy, Danny Danny Isadora, or is that, yeah. is that I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. so I apologize if I'm not, but. Um, I mean, it's just a it's yeah. a role of the yeah, Justin, Mc, Justin McCray as well was kind of was maybe Justin people's early yeah. for the right guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin McCray, that's another one. Yeah, um, can't believe I even blanked on that because that that's an actual viable name there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it could be, it could be any of these guys. I mean, that's one of the things to watch for in in the preseason games, especially going up going up against Green Bay. It's like, hey. What do what do they put out there? Well, who do they want to watch first? You know, who's the first guy at right guard that they want to take a look at in their first action with this new coaching staff, these new players, and all of that? So yeah, so um, I, I, I think that could be a tale. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I think well, they have to show their they, like you know, they as you said, they can they can change in front of the media, they can rotate guys, they can talk about one and see different looks and rotational pieces and trying people out. You know, you can only take eight probably maybe max nine, you know, all-line guys, the defensive line, they're probably going to be eight or nine as again. So, you know, there's going to be limited bodies. But so I, I grew, uh, I wrote an article out uh, on Saturday. I'm trying to do sort of short, kind of sharp articles every Saturday um, because I just try and get probably in, light, in tune with the modern attention span perhaps. But, uh, but just kind of real, you know, easy stuff you can pick up. If you've not been following the news that week, you can pick up some stuff. So I, I grouped some players and actually, I really struggled to fill these and see what you see what you think. So, so the first the first group group in players are the guys that were drafted. And it's time to perform. So you probably will see these guys on on Saturdays in some variety. So you got Lonnie Johnson, we're number one, of course, um, likely strong safety. Ross Blacklock, Jonathan Grenard, Kahali Waring, John Reed, kinda Isaiah Coulter, Charlie Heck. They're all the guys that we've all invested in the last couple of years who pretty much to a man, have not given anything on the field worth notable. You know, and I, I talked about it last week, like if, if Ross Blacklock had been a one-year deal last year and wasn't a second-round pick, be gone. probably wouldn't have brought him back. He'd be gone. He'd yeah. be gone. He'd be gone. Um, yeah, and based off of – yeah, ba- based off of performance, he'd be gone. Yeah. Now, based off of potential, like, you know, if he's still the same age, let's say, you know, do they – 
do they bring him back because he's a young guy and they think maybe they can figure it out or coach him up maybe. But, yeah, just based off of performance alone and without all the other things attached to it, the draft pick, where the draft pick came from, all of that, you know, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't see a reason to bring him back. Um, and John Grenard's one, I think, could be on the outside. Look, you know, both him and Blacklock, we've got a lot, you know, there's a, you know, you think a defensive tackle, you got Jaleel Johnson, you got Vincent Taylor, a, um, you know, you've got obviously Brandon Dunn coming back, who, you know, who's a potential yeah. cap saving if he's not up to snuff this year, but um, just like yeah. what the merciless could be, because I don't think I don't think they'll be they'll be scared and cutting cutting ties if they need to. But yeah, I struggled to I struggled to kind of fill some of those boxes. So that was the first one out of well, any of those. And 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 add guys like Jaleel Johnson, even Roy Lopez, Vincent Taylor. You know, they Ross Blacklock has not necessarily separated himself from those guys in camp. I can tell yeah. you, yeah. you know. So that's another interesting thing. Like he's not. I don't think that guy's getting cut. You know, and I think maybe they probably can use them, you know, at, at the very least for death. Yeah. But it is it is interesting that that he would be that that would be where you are with him a year later. And then this next bucket was probably an indictment of the quality of the roster that we've got or we've been left with because of the moves we made. But I talked about players or the headline was flashed and ready to take a step. And the guys I had there was Chuck Amenahu, defensive line, Titus Howard, Max Sharpen which, yeah, 2019 was the flash, I suppose. Pharaoh Brown and Shaq Lawson, because he's, he's shown some high-quality tape, but he's obviously not flashed here. But th that was probably the biggest concern to me of that should be your biggest bucket of players that you you know you should have more than what, five names to, to mention there. And I think that's, that's the trouble. Would you add any to that? that or is, or is, that, is that, you know, an accurate like, assumption of like, limited, the limited like, array? Yeah. This is to flat to uh to take a step, me, yeah. Yeah, given something and ready to go, but you know, the extra level. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the one that to go an extra level it would be I mean, it's gotta be Justin Reed. Uh well, I, I put him in a different bucket, but I'll come on to that. So the, the next one right, was was right. the prove it contract year, which was Jordan okay, Aikens. There you go. There Jordan you go. Aikens, Kiki QT, Anthony Miller, Justin Reed, mm -hmm. and Jacob Martin. There you go. There yeah. you go. Okay. Well, yeah. So and I mean, you could you could put everybody on this roster probably in the prove it contract here because everybody is probably on there. Yeah. You know, you don't perform, you're out. But but yeah, I think between those, that's probably the core of your roster. Hopefully, you're going to see the guys who are time to perform and take a step, and then that forms the basis of your roster. But I think the the fact that you it was it was quite hard to piece those three sort of you know tier one and tier two players on your roster categories together probably you know is an indictment of, of where this roster is, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, everybody's just got so much to prove, you know, uh, you know, the early narrative at, at camp was chip on the shoulder. You know, I got a chip on my shoulder, just like mm -hmm. he got a chip on his shoulder and we all got chips on our shoulders and we're underrated. Well, you know what? Honestly, they should have chips on their shoulder, you know, um, they, or they, they, you know, they've, this is, <laughs> this is a, you know, a, a kind of a no man's land of a roster, you know, guys who just kind of, Fell here. It's always awkward for me during those press conferences when someone will ask, and I've done it a couple of times, ask the question, but a lot of times it's Aaron Wilson actually will ask the question of what made you decide to come here? Why did you just, what, what, yeah. what made, why, why, the, why the Texans? I mean, I think it's a fine question for anybody who's a newcomer, you know, who wasn't drafted or traded here, any free, anybody who signed here willingly. And 
you know, they always give you, you know, an, an answer that's, you know, you know, that you can, it's it's a fine answer, right? Yeah. But it's, it's never what you feel like is the truth, which is I didn't have a lot of options, or these are the one. This is where I could get the most money, or something to that yeah. effect. Yeah. Because yeah. that is the, that is the field that either a this here's the place that would overpay you, a la Randall Cobb last year, uh, you know Eric Murray last year, or b I just you know. Wasn't a lot out there for me, uh, to, to my surprise. All I say of Philip Lindsay, yeah, you know, yeah. um, so yeah, you know, the, the, that's what we're dealing with. That's what this, that's what this roster is, and you know, that's why you know this is probably the more the more exciting preseason that I can remember, you know, in a long yeah. time. So, so the next bucket is basically that. So, guys that are proving they that they belong in the league. So, it's Des mm-hmm. King, Philip Lindsay, yep. Justin mm-hmm. Britt. Jordan Jenkins, Malik Collins, Christian Kirksey, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Justin McRae, Jaleel Johnson, Terrence Mitchell. I did include Demarcus Walker in there. But, you know, again, we're rattling off a hell of a lot of names, all new, um, but all these guys were something to prove. So you think, you know, yeah, I, I think you, you'll you see the, the the guys who are in the preserve category who, you know, get hooked after a series or something. You know, we can probably on Saturday night score them off as, you know, they're in the tent you know, at this stage. Um, but you know, there's a lot of guys there that have all got, you know, a lot to prove and, you know, a lot of them coming off injury. Now the next group, I don't know if you want to add anything to those guys first. Yeah, I think so something something to prove. That that was the that was the category, right? Well, yeah. Do they belong in the league? Yeah. Yeah. Do they belong in the league? Yeah. So I have a I have an awkward one. Um, because he's he's a proven player, but there is a question at this point: Does he belong in the league, and specifically, does he belong in a system like this? But Whitney Merciless is kind of on that list for me. So the uh, well, is, he, is he is he on your next? He's list? on the next one. So the next one was: Do they have anything left in the tank? Okay, he was the go. first. He was the first thing. Whitney Merciless, Liam mm-hmm. Taylor, Marcus Cannon. I've not seen either Martin of them Cannon. out there. Mark yep. Ingram, David Johnson, mm-hmm. Rex Burkhead. And probably a bit, little bit unfairly, but just due to his age and the position that he takes. But Andre Roberts, mm, that's a good one because we've committed to Andre Roberts and we don't know what we're going to get yet. And you know, and I, I was, I heard him say he wasn't going to give any secrets away about his longevity. But then I, I thought, well, maybe he's uh, maybe his blocking was particularly good, and he was just you know his vision's vision is strong, um, but he but he's he's managed to you know make a make a living off some other guys in front of them that'll be an excellent blocking but well you know time will tell on that but yeah I think and that's one actually do you think I, well I, I've held this assertion all offseason I reckon Mercer's will get cut at some point this season they'll just take the hit yeah I think that's in play yeah. I, I mean I think I think it's in play you know to, to me that I mean Whitney Merciless was one that <laughs> I maybe foolishly but but I was willing to take the hit on that after last year. I was like, hey, I don't know, I don't know what we're doing with. This. I mean, I get the cap, the cap hits and the financial implications, but I mean, you can. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's 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 just time to move on, you know. And then what do they do? They they go. Not only is he still around, which I get financial reasons, but they go and change the whole system up and got him doing something they hadn't done in a decade. So I'm yeah. very interested to see how that plays out. You know, both does he have it? Is it left in the tank? And is you know, can, can he adjust and do this thing that he hasn't done in a long time? You know, he's looked all right in camp, but I've also seen, you know, some times where, you know, 
was it Roderick Johnson that put him on the ground? I don't know. I can't remember exactly now because it was a it was a couple of, of practices ago. But um, you know, I've I've seen him lose some one on ones as well, which is not surprising. I mean, uh, I saw him go up against Laramie Tunsil. Obviously, nothing happened in there. Like he's yeah. He's not physically he, strength or speed. He ain't getting around Laramie Tutsal. Uh, you know, so I, I'm just looking like, yeah, is that what's what what's there? Um, does it does this change help or hurt? You know, can 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 this revitalize Whitney Merciless or is this really just the end the way it appeared to be last year? So, um, yeah. And then yeah, fight, I, I, I don't. I don't know what they're gonna do with them, but yeah, you know. I, I, yeah, I don't think that. I don't think they'll, they'll hold back and on any guy. You know, Randall Cobb could have been in that category if he was still here. You know, they might. You know, Brandon Dunn might be one. He's another kind of big cap hit if he's not. You know, clearly better than the other guys that have been brought in on a deal, which was probably a bit rich for him. And it was a very early deal that, in that free agency cycle, he might be gone as well. So you know, you just never know uh, where he'll be. And he's come back from an injury as well. Um, and then the final final bucket was. Um, Paul, or this was um, under radar candidates. So, do they keep a fullback? It would be Paul Quisenberry at fullback. Um, you know, he's listed a tight end, but he's a fullback. He's been training with James Devlin. Um, yeah. Big Z, or is Uzziah Fulahai? I think I pronounced mm-hmm. that all right. Because he's he's got, to, well, he was the only guy who could get off a block at the end of last season. And then yeah. another one was, which is a bit of a long shot, but I think it's just one of these guys that you would love to have in special teams because he's tactical now. But Shame Carter, um, just coming up, obviously he was on the coaching staff at Alabama, got in the tryout. So you think there's been a lot of guys that have come in on tryouts. Uh, Corey Moore was a good example of that. I know he kind of uh, infamously dropped that interception in 2017 of Tom Brady with ice the game, but, you know, he was a tryout guy. Um, and there's been many other examples of tryout guys that have you know, kept on the roster and and, uh, and hung around because there was something they liked about them. But uh have you got any any guys apart from them, Brandon, or the ones we've not touched on the day that you think might be worth a worth a mention before we get out of here? Yeah, I'm I'm glad I got in Jordan Jenkins earlier, uh, because I think that he can be a factor in in terms of the pass rush and you know that being them having almost no pass rush last year outside of you know whenever JJ Watt might show some flashes, but they they essentially had none. Um. I'm trying to think of some players, man. I think that you know we talked about Anthony Miller. I I, I do want to reiterate how much I just like that 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 they essentially made that swap, man. I know we talked about it earlier. Yeah. But the upgrade, I think, from Randall Cobb to Anthony Miller is going to be not insignificant. You know, like I think you're I think you're going to notice that, and it's going to help a lot for whoever the quarterback is which we, again, think is going to be Terod Taylor. Um, and Nico Collins, man, I know we had talked about him earlier, but, I mean, <laughs> if if there is anything to overreact to, because I think that's a lot of what camp is, and I've had fun out there, but a lot of this is overreaction. You did it. You You just showed a while ago a lot of the headlines that came out of camp last year that now sound utterly ridiculous. But... If there is anything to overreact to right now, it is Nico Collins. Um, I, I think that, you know, he, he looks, you know, he, he looks different and is like the kind of receiver that the Texans I don't think have had in a while. 
Um, obviously, you had ten. You had DeAndre Hopkins, who um, had had a, the amazing catch radius that he had, and amazing hands that he had. But just the physical stature of this guy, the athletic ability, his route running is even better in person than what I could tell on film when I watched. You know, the the, the film that I watched of him. Um, and they talk about consistency, wanting wanting to see more of that throughout. All, you know, from all of the rookies. And he is the most consistent rookie that I've that I've watched of the group. And so, I mean, again, I know we talked about him earlier, but I would just reiterate that this is a guy, you know, number 17. Have your eye out on this guy. Right, I got a couple of couple, three quick questions just on the roster before we show you here. We'll do quick fire, right? Running backs. Do Mark Ingram or does Mark Ingram make this roster so I, I i'll throw a little curveball at you real quick since you asked and, and i'm taking this a little bit from seth Payne here at sports radio 610 original texan seth Payne. he thinks one of these guys could be trade bait now i don't know what the trade value is in any of those guys considering that, that yeah, they were a swap. you know yeah right. swap. yeah yeah i mean they were able to Sign these guys for nothing. David Johnson, you know, overpaid all of that. So, like, I don't know who exactly. I, I don't see the trade scenario. But again, could you get lucky? Is there yeah. is there is there a powerful person who believes in luck. Mark Ingram? Yeah, I mean, is there a powerful person who believes in Mark Ingram more than they should? Or you know, I like it. And I, I and you know, the idea of trading for David Johnson, you know, or like Rex Burkhead. I, I mean. I don't see that out there. And of course, Philip Lindsay is your best option at running back. So unless you're trading for a better running back, I don't see what the, you know, what that is uh, or the sense that that makes. I think that if he doesn't get traded, that Mark Ingram does make the roster. Now that does create a crowded running, running back situation. Cause I also think that David Johnson is going to be on the roster. I also think that, you know, Philip Lindsay is going to be the number one running back. So then that that leaves me with trying to figure out the Rex Burkhead thing. And, you know, is like who's the fourth back? Is, you know, is that a a practice squad guy, a special teams guy? You know, you know, who how does that shake out? How does the bottom of of the depth chart for the running back shake out if Mark Ingram does make it, which I do think he will. In terms of the linebackers, obviously Kirksey's got the green dot on the back of the helmet. I think he's gonna get the plays in his in his mm-hmm. helmet. Uh, assuming Cunningham plays the will, who's 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 starting at Sam? Kevin Pierre, yeah, yeah, Kevin Pierre Lewis, yeah, Kevin Pierre Lewis is starting at Sam, but based off of camp now, yeah. I, like I don't, I'm not, I don't have a super in depth evaluation on, on who's the best guy based off of camp, but based off of the reps, that seems to be the way that they're leaning. Um, so I would, I would expect that to be the case there. And all the defensive ends, if you think they're going to keep Lawson, Jordan Jenkins, Grenard probably sticks around. Yeah. Jacob Martin's a, a speed change-up guy. There's four. You yeah. might keep five. Who's the fifth if you keep those four? Yeah, I mean, Ominihu is going to be there. Did you mention him? Well, I was maybe going to class him as an interior guy because he'll probably bump out on the edge when he, on later downs, maybe. Yeah, so, right, right. He, he'll He'll – He'll bump inside when they want to just go all pass rushers, you know, yeah. in obvious, uh, in obvious passing downs. Um, 
All right, so give that to me again. Let me process that one more time. So you got Lawson, mm-hmm. Jacob Martin, Jonathan Grenard, Jordan Jenkins. That's four. You only are ever going to have two, ideally, on the field at once. You think you maybe keep five max. Doesn't look that good for Whitney Merciless, does it, I suppose? Because then you got Demarcus Walker in there, you got uh, Derek Rivers. Yeah, Derek. I was going to say Derek Rivers is, and you know, Derek Rivers has the Easterby connection. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for what it's worth, hasn't looked terrible in, 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 in camp. Derek Rivers has looked fine. Um, I go merciless. Yeah. I think it's a real possibility because I think, you know, all the players at this time of year say, you know, I've lost, I've shifted, you know, I've shifted 10, 15 pounds. But then I think even his first interview was saying, well, I've got my hand in the dirt. I can't see what's going on. So, yep. Yep. And he told me that I, I asked him straight up. I said, what's the biggest difference? I can't see nothing. Like, yeah. Oh, well, great. Great talk. Yeah. <laughs> and final one, I lied, but final one we get out. Um, over under how many players do you think they pick up at the waiver wire, knowing how much Casario likes a transaction and, and how many of them will be a quarterback? Mm. Well, over under... Uh, I'll say this: that I'll ask the answer the last one first. While I'm thinking about the first one, at least one. Yeah, uh, I think they might even do three because if you think, even the what was it, the 2019 roster, they picked up Buddy Hill. Um, oh, oh, I meant on the quarterback, at least one. Oh, right, well, at least one quarterback. Yeah, sorry, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, because like Je- Jeff Driscoll is is practice squad or or, or a cut, you know. Yeah. So they could yeah. that could very easily be a cut, and then they bring in another guy. Yeah. And who knows what they do with Davis Mills? Maybe yeah. he's practice squad. Maybe they bring in an actual backup. You know, if, if Davis Mills isn't ready, so one of them could be a quarterback. Over under how many did they pick? Yeah, you, I know you gave out three. Could be man, because well, I'm trying to think what what do we think they're what do we think they're going to need? I have, I had to think that through. Uh, I think, they've yeah, got to, I think they've got to look at another corner. I, I, I don't know how they've not, or how they think they're go, they've got away with adding that, or without adding that this year. Um, I think they're probably, probably short. They, I think they would take a wide receiver if 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 one fell to them, an outside guy, because you know you seem to taking VZ. It came in late. Yeah. Um, and I think they're I think they're always open uh, to guys up front. Whether that be yeah, whether that be defensive or offensive, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think two or three. Yeah, I'll 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 say even four. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'll even go four because they're not tied to any of these guys. Very few of them they've got any connection with. You know, I don't think they're. Yeah, I I could see Casario getting happy. Yeah, I'd go four. Many as four. Why not? Yeah, I I I think it's changed days, isn't it? I think you got sixty man practice squad. I think it's been wholly confirmed, but you got that to deal with. And then I think you've got as well, you've got the you've got an understanding of the or or a big change from the, the, the previous regime of we like our guys and you know that was much to their detriment. Um yeah. but I, I think you know it's it's been probably churn over churn at times, but I, I think in this season, if observer type would do it, it's this year, isn't it? So um we're well over time here, mate. So we'll we'll, we'll let you get out of here. But do the final question and we'll leave it at this. Does do they keep Deshaun? on the 53 as it stands right now in the hope that you'll be on some sort of exempt list because the league aren't moving very quickly and I think it would be 
it's taken them to it took them to July to interview even him or even speak to him. So at that rate, I don't think you can bank on that. So what, what do they do? Because obviously you've got to keep them. You've got to keep on somewhere <laughs> without letting them walk for free. So what? what where does he sit on this? Because then you're one roster spot down, which is is a big deal when you've only got 53, 46 to suit up on game day. Yeah, no, Deshaun's on the 53, man. Deshaun's on the team. Now, what that looks like, for, all, for you know, past that and for all the rest of us and the optics and the logistics of it exactly, I, I am very much interested to find out myself. But, I mean, everything that we've seen so far indicates that they are, like, I, I can't speak to, and I, ha- I have heard some of the same reports and, and, you know, the chatter out there that they have made these last last ditch efforts, like the reports you hear about them trying to sell the team on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, the, the, those are go with that. The, those are those are pretty solid from from all of from what I can tell. So, with that being the case, they still appear to like and you know I love John McClain, but you know he's out there saying that they don't want him anymore. I don't see that. I don't see the like I see more of the reports of, you know, they would like to get him in the fold if they can convince him. Yeah. Um, I, I thought about, and this was small, but I even I even blogged about it uh, because it stood out to me. But when Anthony Miller was on in the loop, in the loops had uh, a player after yeah, a practice yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah. They just happened to be broadcasting at that time. So Anthony Miller who obviously is a newcomer, a new teammate of Deshaun Watson, has not played a game with him. Um, they asked him about it anyway, and he gave to me what I thought was, and I could be reading too much into it, but, mm. you know, he, he acknowledged, he says, you know, it certainly affects the team if he plays. And to me, it almost mm. was the the first or the most standout, comment of if he if he plays you know here's a guy that just that just got here who seems to to be leaving the door open for the possibility that Deshaun Watson could play it certainly affects the team if he plays but however it may go the show must go on that was the that was the quote so you know I'm I'm like oh man it sounds like they want this guy around and I've said this consistently and it's just a fact. They own his they own his contract. They got the rights yeah. to him, you know, like they don't have to do anything here. You know, I think in the narrative business, it's it's been sold, I think, to the public that well, Deshaun Watson wants out. And so that means he's just gonna be gone and that and and you know, you just gotta trade him. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, disgruntled superstar, not ideal probably do have to trade your disgruntled superstar at some point, but you actually really don't, you know, when a guy just signed a contract, you know, it's, it's going to be a year ago now. Uh, it's about 11 months ago. Hey man, if, if they don't like the offers, if they're not getting any offers, sorry to shine. Like you either got to come and play or do whatever. Or, or do what? Like that, that was all, has always been my question to Deshaun Watson. Like I'm thinking, hey man, play football or do what exactly? I mean, I get well, being rich right, and yeah. not not having to report to work and you know getting paid. As a matter of fact, I was having this debate. I don't think we got far in the debate because we had to go. We had something to do with Aaron Wilson and I who covers the Texans as well. We're talking like 
you know, his point is, well, you know, why play? You know, because he doesn't want to be there. It doesn't make sense for him to play. You know, he wants to get traded. And my thought was, why not play? You know, because like, and do what? If they, if the league says you can play, okay, you're not suspended. Yeah. If they don't put you on the exempt list or none of that. Now, if you can go on the exempt list, that's, hey, right. That obviously, you know, he's, he'll be on the roster and he'll be at home and he won't have to play that conversation is, is, is moot. But if he's allowed to play, I don't get taking a year off at 25, going to be 26 years old. This is what you do. You know, like this, this is your legacy. This is who you are. You know, the idea that you would just not play because what you're, you know what I mean? Cause just pout and cause, cause, cause Cal McNair, you know, you don't have the greatest respect for your boss. Look, man, no one does a lot of, <laughs> get in the lane <laughs> and, and, and forget and forget it. Cal McNair aside, forget that. There are a lot of us out here making a lot less money working for people that we don't respect necessarily, or have done it at times. Like yeah. you think everybody out here thinks that their boss is a genius. Yeah. Or wants to work for the person that they work for, the company that they work for, or whatever it is, you know. And here's Deshaun Watson getting ten and a half million dollars to work for somebody that he supposedly doesn't really respect, or an organization that he doesn't really believe in. Look, man, if it's if it's a situation where they can't trade him this year and he's allowed to play. <laughs> I'm I'm very interested to see how how that plays out because I don't see how you don't play. I don't see how you don't play if you're allowed and you're on a team. You play. Yeah. yeah. You're a football player. You play football, man. You know, like there's not a contract dispute. You're getting paid, you know. Um well I I heard somebody mention that there was there was almost an intimation that if he was to move somebody to look to get his contract reworked. I thought, I mean, how I mean it's obvious he's been advised terribly and he continues to be and he's obviously surrounds himself with enablers and, and people who, you know, don't necessarily always have his best interest at heart, whether that's his, you know, his smug agent, whether that's his, whether that's, you know, the, his, his other half who he had to buy a perfume line for, I'm assuming that was, that was something, uh, something part of the, uh, the uh, the counselling or or whatever kind of uh, of uh, you know sessions they went through after all this kind of stuff. So, I will say that look, I don't dabble in this world, the the, the social media influencer world, but I've always wanted to point out whenever someone with Jilly, the girlfriend, yeah. I think it's worth I think it's worth noting, she is actually more internet famous than he is. Oh, really? Like, okay, right. Okay. Like we like we love football, and to us, Deshaun Watson is is the star. There's a whole nother avenue and lane and world yeah. that exists where she is actually the star and it's like really? who's Deshaun, who's Deshaun Watson. Go look up. I mean, her if you go look at her Instagram followers, she's got more than he does. All right, okay. She, she's got more than he does. So like I, I don't know the world th- yeah. that this is happening in, where I'm just learning about it because she's with him and or whatever. Yeah, but okay, okay. She she's a she's a thing, you know. She's the you know, the post-Kardashian world of yeah. influencer just being famous for being famous and yeah. beautiful and whatever it may be yeah. um, and being able to monetize that she's she's on that track so i don't know if he you know i don't know if he had anything to do with the perfume line the, the, well, the yeah yeah it's curious though you know because well you know, yeah <laughs> yeah the timing the timing was uh, the best but yeah i think yeah, that's yeah I, think he, I think he's on the roster though to answer your question though yeah. i do i do think he's on the 53 man yeah 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he is. I think you just have to deal with it and grin and bear it. But I think I talked about that last week. I, I think the Watson camp have been shocked by the Texans' ability to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. I think they just thought they would cave regardless of the thing. And it's always that overriding arrogance that, that, that is, is getting more palpable as time goes on through this whole thing. That, uh, that it almost it almost loosens the the bedrocks of their position as they're standing there because I think they they assumed that they would get their way and I don't know if that's from the agent um, or that's from the business manager or is that from you know guy X Y and Z that's always hanging around with them is that Quincy Avery is that whoever it is I think there's there's just been so so much pitter patter of, of of little voices and all this kind of stuff that swirls around and all ninety nine percent of it's you know a crock of shit. But the, the the truth of the matter is he's not going anywhere anytime soon unless a GM gets trigger happy and his owner goes just goes, you know, I might die before we win a Super Bowl. Let's just go for it. You know, and that, that that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a structural shift so big, you know, like, you know, some of these big trades that people always look back on. It's going to take that for it to change. And I just can't see anybody doing that with a living suspension with what the Texans should get when they don't have to do anything. Sitting sitting back and, and letting the market come to you for which is a 15-year investment for somebody that's got a higher yield than, than pretty much 90% of the other available assets out there. Just sit back, sit pretty, and wait for the company. You don't need to make a move. I think Watson's camp decided that Cal McNair was a weak leader. Yeah. And whether you agree with that or not is, oh, yeah, is, yeah. Up, to, is up to you. But that I think that's what they decided. They said, hey, we we'll don't believe. Those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't believe in leadership, and we see a weak leader, and like you just said, we'll bulldoze them. We'll railroad them. They're not going to be able to withstand the pressure that we're going to put on the organization. And they did not possibly give enough credit to the poker face that Nick Casario would put up. And... I'm not trying to give too much credit to Nick Casario necessarily because I think that circumstance is also factored into this as well. You know, like a big, a big reason why we are here and Watson is somewhat untouchable. Like he's already on the Texans. So yeah. there that is. But the reason why he's untouchable for a lot of these other teams is for this off the field reason and these serious allegations, things that people don't want to be tied to, especially in today's environment and political climate and i'm not trying to make an excuse and say that's the only good reason to, to to feel this way like these things are valid but there's a heightened awareness and sensitivity to violence against women crimes against women these sorts of things is that and then the quarterback you know this isn't bringing in greg hardy you know the the, the quarterback is the face of the franchise so you know mm. Can can is it easier for the Texans to redeem the disgraced face of the franchise than it is for the other team to go all in and give you three, four first round, whatever it is, whatever the asking price is, to give you that for someone that they're not even sure they can put on a poster, or someone that they're not even sure that they can put in a commercial, at least yeah. not right now. They know they yeah. can't right now, you know, and that that is the hesitation. You know, I, I think that, you know, that this is in some ways, this is going to sound a little twisted, but the Texans got a little bit lucky here in, in that there's a, there's an obstacle in the, in the, yeah. 
in the trade market for Deshaun Watson. And that's if, you know, they want to keep him. And if you agree with what I think is conventional wisdom, that Deshaun Watson is the best option for them at quarterback. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I, you know, I think that they, the arrogance of the camp was exposed quite a bit. Yeah. You know, especially when you look back in the context of that they knew what was going on in the background with with the personal life. You know, maybe they didn't know that it was about to oh, get the family. Yeah, they knew. They knew. Well, they, I mean, they didn't. They maybe they didn't know that they were going to have an onslaught of, you know. Yeah, but it goes back to that arrogance thing, it doesn't it? They just assumed right. that they could get by. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who, no, who are you whole, to tell us? You know, yeah. a whole thing from yeah, the the allegations themselves, the nature of the allegations themselves, to so the way that it's played out with his camp, like from Deshaun. And the moment of how he's supposedly allegedly getting down all the way to the, you know, to the end of it, to how the campus handled it has shown a, a, a great level of arrogance. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, you know, at the time when the trade request was made, you know, you think, Hey, you know, you, he had a point. I thought he had a point like, Hey, look, this ain't working. These guys don't know what they're doing. I want out of here. Now I think where they went wrong was, not even trying to do the community, like basically do the communication or, or like honest communication, yeah. open communication, which yeah. I, I don't know the extent of that, but it didn't seem like he kind of ever gave the new regime a chance. Yeah. And it all now went through he, ESPN, didn't it? That was all the community. Right. right. And, and and now he's being forced to do that. Like, yeah. like he might still want to get traded, but he is being forced to, at the very least, listen to Nick Casario listen to the teammates that, you know, that are left over and that have been brought in that want him to still play. Like he's got to, he's got to at the very least listen or, 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 or go home and take that $50,000 fine. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the team have got decisions. You either try and integrate them, even if it is third stretch, you know, third, third tier. And yeah, you make a call. Do you either just let they can either now let him sit and rot, whether that's suspension or just as a 53rd man, and he just right. doesn't get dressed. We're just saying, look, this is nobody. Nobody likes this, but nobody's willing to pay the price, you know. So you're, you nobody pays the bond. Nobody's come up with the bond yet. So you're, you're here, whether you like it or not, unfortunately. Um, or you can do what you do best, and you've done your entire life, and you can get, you can buckle up that chin strap and go and and go and throw the ball around to this team better than it probably, you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent of humans on this earth can do. So you know, what's up to you? What do you want to do? Um, but you just never know what's in his ear. And it's obviously bad advice in his ear. And it continues to be bad advice in his ear. Yeah. And we'll yeah. see. And whether that yeah. public stand today was uh with, with Casario was 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 intentional right in front of the media. Um, or it just so happened that they just started talking right in front of everybody. We don't know. But um yeah, well over probably a, a double uh, double time there, Brandon. But thank you very much for your time. Any words before we, we head out of here? I'm probably gonna get you caught up in some rush hour traffic now. Oh, it's cool, man. I'll probably sit around and do some work. Uh, I, I have another hour before I need to pick up my daughter. So, no um, but I, you know, I'm actually good in, in, in the rush hour traffic, man. Sometimes it's therapeutic for me. I go back, I'll, I'll do some prep. You know, I try to, you hear so many stories. I don't know if you see this out here, but we hear so many stories about road rage and people just had so much oh, angst on the road. I've seen, you know, I've seen more than a fair shit of crashes in the limited time. Oh, being. man. It's ridiculous. So, like for me, I'm just like, okay, there's nothing I can do about the traffic. If it, if I run into it, 
I'm gonna try to just enjoy this quiet time or or listen to a podcast or or an album that I hadn't caught up on or something like that, you know. So it's all good, man. Uh, this is and this is always fun, you know, to kind of talk through it uh, the the long form way, you know, uh, uh, of every aspect of the team and try to get uh, try to make sense of everything. Yeah, no, I think so, and it's, it's it continues to be confusing and having you know having Deshaun hang around when it would seem simpler for him to be out of the limelight. But yeah, they, they're finding their own way. Um, first time GM, first time head coach, but we'll have a game and we'll have have finally have something this offseason materially to judge them on because the acid test goes in between the white lines. All the other stuff's just preparation to that. So. Looking forward to Green Bay on Friday. I take it. Are you watching it from from Houston, or where you? What's your vantage yeah. point Saturday? Yeah, I'll be watching it from Houston. Um, we obviously are going to broadcast the game through Sports Radio six ten. So um, I'll be connected one way or the other. But you know, I'll be here in Houston, and you know the the first time I'll travel will more than likely be to uh, AT and T Stadium to check out you know check out the the in-state yeah. rivalry and see what that's looking like but um yeah. but yeah I'll be, I'll be for sure communicating with people there as things are happening you know the you know the mark vandermeers and john harris's of the world and john mcclain's and or yeah. whoever whoever else is there yeah yeah i think it'll be yeah well interesting to see how the team prepare under a new regime. It's all different. It's all new. So there's 101 things to watch. Hopefully we've covered some of those tonight and we'll uh, look forward to finally having football, the whole point of this team, even though they've uh, made a focus on anything but. But uh, Brandon, thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll catch up with you at some point during this the season. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. We'll have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm.